Hey everybody, it's Movie Geeks United. We're talking June Blu-rays and 4Ks tonight with Adam. Yes, back again. Such a short uh, gap, it seems like, but it's been a month. (laughs) Yeah, so you saw the new Mission Impossible. I did not, so do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about that? I was. I thought your take on it on Facebook was interesting. <laughs> I think it's a very good action movie. I mean, in in that it has very good action. Obviously, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a very good movie. Movie. Right. This the story arc is going to be like five hours by the time they come out with the next one. I don't know that the story is is interesting enough to maintain that in terms of plotting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's interesting really in this one. I mean, it's so overly complicated. There's so much exposition and there really doesn't need to be. You need to know good guy, bad guy, obstacle. It doesn't need all this rigmarole of, you know, you got to keep explaining it to the audience. But, and the other thing, the other problem I have with it, I mean, it's sensational action, of course, but as is custom with this series, customary, but you know, months ago they came out with that the biggest stunt in history featurette, and that was more anxiety-inducing and nail-biting than its placement in the actual film. So <laughs> once you reveal the stunt and the behind-the-scenes and the true danger of it, it, months before the movie comes out, it's not going to play as thrillingly in the actual movie. And then there's another behind-the-scenes featurette of speed. I don't understand what it is. Speed parachuting or something, and they talk about how that's an extremely dangerous stunt. It happens in the movie, and it's not even played for danger. There's, it's, it's a big nothing burger. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just, it's just weird. But I like Tom Cruise. I like the fact that the women characters are all of a different ilk than usual for this genre of movie. Yeah, you know, they they do have a multitude of female characters and, um. And um, they're not all relegated to love interests or damsel in distress or, you know, they, they all can hold their own. Uh, so that's essentially it's not it's not among my favorites in this in the f- franchise, which surprised me. Yeah. Now, I think one to- I think one in four are still my favorites. It's surprising to me that most people think that six, the fallout is the best of the franchise, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Fallout's great. It is. But it, it surprised me that that's every that's a lot of people's favorites, critically anyway. Yeah, one and four are my favorites. That's what I was going to ask you. So uh, you answered that question. I guess two is typically the one people t- go to as being the least of the yeah. batch. Yeah. Yeah. So. But I mean, the franchise started off his his approach to it was so smart. It was obviously smart to hire De Palma to start start that franchise, but it was to yeah. go with a different director each time to. So each movie feels like an individual experience. I love that idea, but he, you know, he threw that away because he has a great rapport with Macquarie, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, the more I think about three, um, the J.J. Abrams one, yeah, um, it's an interesting one because it's so like mean. That movie is like mean unusually so i would agree yeah mm-hmm. uh and it's got obviously a great villain in philip seymour hoffman uh probably maybe the best villain of all the mission impossibles i mean you can't beat him and he just plays it so mercilessly mm-hmm. and it's also the only mission impossible that I, well i mean there's traces of it in in fallout i guess it's the only Mission Impossible that looks at who who is Ethan Hunt when he's not spying. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I, you know, I think three has more personal ambitions. I don't dislike three, but I always thought of it as a lesser thing. But it is different from anything else in the series. Yeah, it is, and I I remember liking it. I have not seen that since it came out in the theater. So that is uh I that was that was it for me one time view but I do have it here and I need to uh pull that disc out and revisit there's no excuse for that so yeah pull it, pull it out Adam 
<laughs> well, I saw the Wham documentary that's on Netflix. That's the what? The Wham documentary. Oh, uh, Wham. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wham. yeah, that was pretty good. I have to admit. Um, so I, I would, as far as stuff that streaming goes, and, and the Rock Hudson documentary, I liked that a lot. Actually, I was uh-huh. surprised how much I enjoyed that. Um, so those are a couple of. Uh, documentaries that are now oh and we did see you and i both saw the documentary on midnight cowboy i don't think we've compared notes on oh yeah yeah um it was um overall i liked it it's uh yeah i don't i I don't quite know what it's trying for i didn't either that's funny you have that take because i did i felt the same way in terms of the way it's put together, it's, there's some good stuff up, uh, about it. It's not like what you buy on a DVD, like behind the scenes, and you go from you go from concept to editing and all that kind of stuff. Even though that's in there, mm-hmm. and I, I I like the idea that it's trying to draw, draw the line between the time in which it was made, which is totally what informed Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in there about Schlesinger. I mean, it's got great stuff in it. It's just there. It feels kind of remote to me. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think it was exactly what I wanted. I was wanting something that it wasn't. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a well made movie. It's just not what I personally wanted in a documentary about Midnight Cowboy. If that makes any sense. So. I wanted more of a, a nuts and bolts look at the production of the movie and that type of thing. And, you know, it, it's uh, there's some of that in there, but just not enough to really satiate my uh, my uh, desire for that. So, yeah. Uh, I'm always happy when documentaries try something different where it's not just talking heads and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Even though this thing is filled with talking heads, but it's trying to get at something <laughs> I can tell it's trying to get something more ethereal. Yeah. And it doesn't quite reach it, but I, I admire that it tried. Plus, it yeah. might have, you know, I, I don't really like Midnight Cowboy, so that might have something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. We learned things all I mean, the time. Again, I'm more admiring of elements of it than I like the the whole, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm quite the fan, actually. I have to admit, I, I am, and I, I really, especially the editing techniques that were used and all that, I feel like that stuff is was really ahead of its time, and I, I have always enjoyed it from the first time I viewed it, uh, probably about 30 years ago, and, and continue to do so. So I, I'm, I'm Well, that editing stuff was going around at the time. Yeah, it was. You're right. I it mean, bet- a- between like Batula and uh, uh, Point Blank and all that kind of stuff, they were they were really getting uh, experimental with the editing. Mm-hmm. It's just I just think it's so well done in that movie. Personally, uh, you know, with your the flashbacks and to his past as he's yeah. making his pilgrimage to New York, and I don't know, I, I found that stuff to be really powerful and moving to me. Uh, and uh, and of course the final scenes of the movie are pretty pretty moving as well. And there's just there's a lot of good stuff there. Uh, I like in that movie, and uh, I responded to it. And it, it so it's always been something that uh, that did uh, uh, it kind of uh, wasn't one, something that I was disappointed with in terms of uh, there's a lot of things that are legendary. You. They're not. They don't quite live up to their reputation, and it kind of did for me. So, and continues to do so. So, yeah. anyway, <clears throat> but it's personal. Thing. I didn't like all the tie dye. All the aren't they at some kind of party or something? And yeah, there's a little bit too much of that. I would. Yeah, if there's a demerit, I, I would agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. towards the it's end. Like, um, I'm, but but again, it's of its time. But that's true. Brenda Vaccaro. Something, some, something like the the Thomas Crown affair. Mm-hmm. Jewison's Thomas Crown affair. That movie was so concerned with looking of the moment and ultra fashionable and stuff that it went out of style like not long after it came out. Yeah, that's true. Whereas McTiernan's, in my opinion, far superior Thomas Crown Affair is classic. Mm-hmm. Still holds up. Yeah. I mean, it's done in a classic style. It's The costumes are classic, never go out of style. It's, 
you know, it's a classic caper kind of thing. So, yeah, I, uh, I, well, I, I do admire it. it. It is a good, very, very good movie, um, as well. So, yeah. And, um, of course, you know, several movies are failing. The Indiana Jones movie failing in terms of box office, uh, a lot of kerfluffle about that. And, the, the actor's now on strike and we got, uh, the nanny, uh, representing them all. <laughs> They're saying, you know, because Ronald Reagan uh, became president, uh, started getting into politics after his stint <laughs> representing the actors. They said, is that where she's headed next? So, <laughs> President oh. Franco. Uh, there's a lot of jokes about that. But no, she did knows? a good job. Was she, a did. Good, she did. Good, good rallying speech. Yes, agreed. It would have been Matthew Modine. Wouldn't it? Wasn't he running for SAG, SAG after? I believe so. Running? Yes, I do believe so, yeah. Yeah, I think she's a she's a good uh, representative of their. Uh, and then wasn't it somebody like Melissa Gilbert that had it before? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What kind of effect this has? If it, how long it goes on, I guess, is the real determining factor. And if it goes on for an extended amount of time, that's really going to put a dent in the product that theater. Well, yeah, going to have. I think it's going to go on for a while. I do too. I, I because I just don't feel they still I've, haven't resolved the WGA. Right. And the sense that I'm getting from the the inside information that I'm reading uh, from pod- and listening to on podcasts is basically the studio heads are wanting to stretch it out as long as they can until they get to a point where they have to basically cave in because they can't afford to pay their bills. That's what they're hoping is going to happen. That's essentially yeah. what it amounts to. So, but you know. I mean, that will probably happen with a minority of members of both guilds. Mm-hmm. But most members of those guilds already have other jobs. You know, they're not living off the income they receive from those guilds. I would yeah. imagine. Yeah, if they don't have some other income, I don't know how they can live in Los Angeles because when the medium house price now is. Nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I'm so what I is what I'm reading. I don't I know. know. And you're making fifty thousand dollars is the average for a writer, I think. So it's kind of uh, like six other people, right? And that's one of the reasons why I don't live there. I, I want to be there so bad, but I can't see myself at my age uh, living like a frat boy <laughs> because I can't afford yeah. to live alone, and I can't see myself rooming with a bunch of people and it's it's just an impossible scenario so i i just have to be content with the fact that i'll probably never get to live there and it makes me sad and uh, but some dreams just have to die you know what i mean <laughs> well, yeah i think uh, i think our associations with la are long dead anyway you yes. know the nostalgic romantic romanticization of it that we have yeah, it's not the place that we. I mean, you could visit it, but it's not. You can visit some landmarks and stuff that will re- recall that period of time in your mind, but mm-hmm. it's not really LA today. Mm-mm. No, it's not, and it's, it's getting like, worse. Yeah. You know, because you know, for instance, you know, they're tearing down that strip, the Sunset Strip over there where Viper Room was, and all of that. That's going away, and. You know, that's, yeah. uh, and that's really tacky, what they're planning. It just really looks terrible. And you see that it's all this history is just going away. Like yeah, that. they don't care. No, they don't. It's really sad. And, uh, when your movie people like we are, it's, um, it's hard, it's hard to witness. It really is, uh, painful to see. Yeah. And, you know, and then there's the other additional issue where a lot of the people that we held in high esteem are just no longer alive. They're not there anymore. So you're not going to see them when you go out there because they don't they're not around anymore. So um, there was always the well, hope. that's why you go to all the cemeteries. Well, yeah, you can do that. That's for sure. So anyway, well, I'm getting way off topic. I guess we need to get this show rolling here. With some Blu-ray stuff. So uh, we can do it. We can do it with the, the Kino. We'll start with Kino as we usually do. And they have reissued the uh, the Man With No Name trilogy. 
Um, fistful, fistful of dollars, few dollars, for a few dollars more in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, this is the original theatrical cut. And it also has the longer extended cut that was redone in the late 90s where they, the actors came in and redubbed their voices and all that stuff. And, um, but yeah, these are all Blu-ray editions. I think the previous editions were 4K and uh, I guess they're still in print, but they've redone these on, in Blu-ray. And there's a lot of extras. Uh, there's commentary by Tim Lucas and commentary by Christopher Frailing and um, just all kinds of archival stuff here uh, about Sergio Leone and all that stuff. So anyway, all three of those getting reissued by Kino. And we also have Juggernaut from 1974. This was a disaster film directed by Richard Lester. Uh, he was coming off of the one-two punch of the three and four musketeers. And I think... I can't remember who the original director was on this project, but he left, and so they were getting ready to shut it down, and they asked him as a uh, as a last-ditch effort to save the production if he would step in and fix it. So he did, I think, uh, and uh, brought it in nine days earlier or something like that. It was crazy uh, how he was able to step in and get it fixed. But it's essentially a uh, disaster film about a bomb that has been planted on a luxury liner and the efforts to stop it from detonating before before it does that. As Richard Harris, Omar Sharif, Anthony Hopkins, David Hemming, Shirley Knight, Ian Holm, Clifton James, Roy Kinnear, Freddie Jones, Jack Watson, Julian Glover. And it's pretty good. It's not your typical disaster film. It's more of a procedural about how the uh the bomb experts are going to detonate, the, uh, make sure that it doesn't go off. They're in there trying to find the bomb and figure out how to get rid of the bombs before it's too late. So it's more about that than it is about the uh, the actual passengers and their personal struggles that you see in some of these other other films. But again, it's uh, it's pretty good for what it is. Uh, I still am partial to the Towering Inferno, as we all know, but but um, it's it's an interesting diversion in terms of disaster films from that era. New audio commentary by Steve Mitchell and Nathaniel Thompson in the TV spot theatrical trailer. We have The Great Train Robbery, starring Sean Connery and Donald Sutherland, and it's the only period piece, I believe, that was directed by Michael Crichton in his career as a director. And it's uh, essentially based on Michael Crichton's 1975 novel, which was a uh, retelling of the first ever heist on a moving train. Uh, and you have two... Uh, two of these, um, I guess they were just, uh, I don't even know how to describe them. But anyway, it's Sean Connery and Donald Sutherland. They they have a history of going around and uh, stealing things, let's just say that. And they figure out how to get the keys to the gold that's locked on these train on this train. And um, they go around. They have, the first hour of the film is them uh, basically locating the keys and making copies of them. And then the last hour is them or the last 50 minutes rather is the them actually taking the train the gold off of the train. So it's uh, it's uh well shot by Jen, uh, Jeffrey Unsworth who did 2001 and Murder on the Orient Express and the original Superman the movie. He does the uh, uh the uh cinematography honors here and he, this was his final film. It's dedicated to him. Uh it's it sags a little bit in the middle section, I would say, but uh, it has a bouncy score by Jerry Goldsmith and generally pleasing it's like i said an interesting uh um uh curio in the career i guess you would say of michael crichton because it wasn't uh most of his films were about technology gone wrong and this was certainly a change of pace and and a good one so anyway gorky park directed by michael apted is another you know release for the month of june and it's based on the novel by Martin Cruz Smith and adapted by Dennis Potter, who was the British uh, writer who wrote uh, the Pennies from Heaven and, oh, I don't know, um, The Singing Detective, all kinds of stuff like that. This has uh, William Hurt and Lee Marvin paired together. I think it may have been the only time they were ever paired together. So it's worth seeing, if nothing else, just to see William Hurt and Lee Marvin going toe-to-toe. And um, Brian has got a good James Horner score. Yes, it does. I was going to say Ian McDermott from uh, Return of the Jedi as well. 
Uh, it's a pretty good, again, procedural. <coughs> William Hurt discovers these three murder victims in Moscow's Gorky Park, and their faces and fingertips are removed, and he's got to, you know, figure out how to identify them and, and find the killer. It's pretty much what it is. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, I would say it's pretty good. Uh, not not great, but good. Solid. And I had never seen it before. I always wanted to. And so, yeah, Gorky Park has an interview with Michael Apted, the late Michael Apted, and TV spots and a teaser trailer. Uh, the Package from 1989, starring Gene Hackman, Tommy Lee Jones, and Joanna <sighs> Cassidy, and John Hurd, Dennis Franz, Pam Greer. Interesting cast there, for sure. I, I guess company business was already... Uh... Taken. <laughs> you know, I'm amazed at how many people like this film. Uh, when they announced it, there were a lot of people that were like, "Yay! I'm so glad they're putting this out." And yeah, it's fine. Sandra uh, Davis, right? Yeah, it is. Yes, a uh, couple of years before The Fugitive. But uh, yeah, uh, I didn't actually get a review copy of this one, but I I did enjoy it. Uh, I, I did think it was something I might enjoy. Rather, is what I was getting at. So, uh, but I, I have not seen this, and I hope to someday. So, anyway, but it does have a audio commentary by Andrew Davis and Joanna Cassidy and an interview with the uh, actress Joanna Cassidy as well. And an uh, intro by Andrew Davis and the TV spots in the, the trailer. Manchurian Candidate got a 4K upgrade, previously a Blu-ray on the Criterion. It's part of the Criterion Collection, and... For some reason, they decided not to do the 4K honors, and so Kino picked up the uh, the torch and went with it. And I think um, most of these extras have been issued before. There's interviews with Frank Sinatra, John Frankenheimer, the director, uh, the the writer George Axelrod, and an interview with Angela Lansbury, and an interview with William Friedkin that runs 13 minutes about the film. And his feelings about it. So I'm sure that would be interesting. And, uh, you know, what more can you say about the Manchurian Candidate, one of the great conspiracy thrillers of the 60s, I would say. And for a long time, you couldn't couldn't see it. It was taken out of circulation until the 1980s. I think uh, Frank Sinatra had the rights to it and refused to let it be seen. So, huh. uh, yeah, for a while. And I remember does when he kill the, does he is he brainwashed to kill the president or something in that? Yeah, or what that's is the it? one. That's the one. Yep. Mm-hmm. How many how many movies is Frank Sinatra trying to kill the president in? Because he's in that movie, <laughs> whatever it's called, Suddenly or whatever, where he's trying to kill the president. He's holed up in some person's house. Yeah. And the yeah, president's yeah. making a train stop or something, and they're going to shoot that's him from right. a house or that's something. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the one that uh, the most people go the, the go to film on that subject. I would say. And this was was a Manchurian Candidate. What year was that? Sixty two. Sixty two. Yes. And both of those are before Kennedy assassination. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the reasons why it was taken out of circulation. I think because they felt it was too close for. Uh, well, I know for, suddenly. I know suddenly was. Yeah, I, well, I know the Manchurian Candidate was taken out. I don't know if that was the reason why, but I do. the reason I know for sure that the Manchurian Candidate was taken out of circulation is because I distinctly remember when I was in junior high school, it was reissued in theaters, and they made a big brouhaha about it because they said, oh, it's not been seen in 20 years. And, and that was the first time I'd heard of the film because I wasn't familiar with it, but I was uh, learning, as they say. And so then I it, it was on my radar, and I thought, oh, I've got to see this. I'm curious. And so I did. <laughs> I have the Blu-ray from uh, Criterion. I did not get the 4K upgrade, but but it uh, it is a classic. What can you say? So uh, Ronin is another John Frankenheimer film from 1998. One of his last hoorahs, I would say. Uh, he made a couple of films after this, but not too many before his passing. And this has a uh, you know it's basically uh, Nero and John Renault and they've got to get this briefcase and I guess the briefcase is something of, of a MacGuffin and it's basically the plot secondary here for these car chases and all that stuff. It's well done for what it is, I would say. Uh, just don't scrutinize the plot too much and you'll have a better time. <laughs> uh, commentary by John Frankenheimer from the original DVD ported over and then you have a interview with the editor uh, the interview with uh, the actress in the film, Natasha McKellone, composing the Ronin score with Ella Samirai and the driving of Ronin with the stunt car coordinator as well. 
and an interview with the cinematographer Robert Frace. And um, so, uh, like I said, it's a new transfer, 4K Ultra HD upgrade, and a new Blu-ray as well. The Mr. Wong collection is a uh, Boris Karloff starred in this series of films. He was a detective. And there's uh, Mr. Wong Detective, The Mystery of Mr. Wong, Mr. Wong in Chinatown, and The Fatal Hour all getting a release as part of this collection and with a new commentary uh, by Tom Weaver and Larry Blameyer. Uh, the Bridges at Toko Ree, directed by Mark Robson and starring William Holden, Grace Kelly, and Frederick March, Mickey Rooney, and Charles McGraw and Earl Holloman. And this is uh, a Korean War adaptation of a Korean War novel by James A. Michener. And it's, uh, you know, it's uh, it's got a new 4K scan from the 35mm camera negative, new commentary by Steve Mitchell. And uh, the combat film's American Realism author, Stephen J. Rubin. And Prison Girls in 3D as a oh. 1972, I would call oh, it a softcore, yeah. <laughs> softcore film, the kind that we used to see late nights on Cinemax. And it's uh, there's a 2D version and a 3D version that comes together in this set. I actually now have the capability to see 3D movies in my home, and so I watched it in 3D. <laughs> and what better test of that format than <laughs> yes. Prison Girls? It was. Uh, there are a lot of body parts that are um, that do come out of the pointing, pointing at you. Yes, in the third dimension. Let's just say that. So that is coming at you. Is, <laughs> Coming at you, literally and figuratively. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is an interesting, interesting curio for sure. Uh, this special edition of Prison Girls presents the film remastered in three sensational dimensions by the three 3D film archive, and it um, has a commentary by James G. Chandler and Ash Hamilton, a deleted scene in 2D, and a theatrical trailer in 2D as well. It's very interesting because this was filmed in um, L.A. And it's obviously filmed on a very low budget, probably without permits. So you get to see a sense of the real L.A. circa 1972 and some of that. you know, And, mm-hmm. and the interiors were actually, you can tell it's pretty obvious. They filmed in people's homes. So there's shag carpets and all that stuff going on. Oh, and, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, shag carpets all over the place, I'm sure. Oh, they do. Yes, they do. In more way than one. So we have The White Buffalo starring Charles Bronson and Jack Warden and Clint Walker and Kim Novak and Will Sampson and Stuart Whitman and Slim Pickens and John Carradine and Ed Lauder and Martin Cove. What an interesting cast. And essentially what it is, it's a wild Bill Hickok played by Charles Bronson. And uh, he's in his last years and he's an old gunfighter plagued by fears and driven to uh, by a need to make peace with himself. And he's haunted by these dreams and nightmares about a white buffalo. And at the same time, uh, an Indian chief, Crazy Horse, played by Will Sampson, uh, there was a white buffalo that killed his family, so he wants a real white buffalo slain, and he hires Crazy, or the uh, the Wild Bill, he hires Wild Bill Hickok to do the job, long story short. This is directed by J. Lee Thompson, and it uh, has a score by John Barry. It's produced by Dino De Laurentiis. This was in, during that period when he was doing films like Orca the Killer Well and the 1976 King Kong. So I guess he was on a kick of about uh, you know gigantic animals, animals grown to, grown to gigantic proportions. And The White Buffalo is a curio. I can't say it's a great film, but it is. It's kind of slowly paced, but there's some some interesting stuff going on there. And if you are a fan of films about giant animals on the loose. It may be worth your time, I would say. So, uh, The White Buffalo with Charles Brunson from 1977. And we have La Chevre, starring Gerard Depardieu and Pedro Armendariz from 1981. There's a 2K restoration of this French comedy. And it's a... Um, it's about a French tycoon's... The search for a French tycoon's missing daughter in Mexico... And the uh, the private eye, played by Dee Pardue, is grudgingly saddled with accident-prone accountant. Uh, it would be a detective presumed to be so maladroit that he will unwittingly lead the detective to the missing girl. Uh, so, And comedy ensues. A uh, new audio commentary by Howard S. Berger, Steve Mitchell, and Nathaniel Thompson in the theatrical trailer. We also have the 
film Les Camperères, directed by Francis Bieber from 1983. That's another one starring Gerard Depardieu, co-starring with Pierre Richard. And there's a new audio commentary here by Howard S. Berger, Steve Mitchell, and Nathaniel Thompson, theatrical trailer as well. And then there's Will Penny from 1968, directed by Tom Grease, or Grise, I know it's pronounced both ways. Charlton Heston stars as Will Penny in this film. It's a uh, it's a Western. He's an aging cowboy on a hard luck streak, out of work, out of money. And he's left out in the desert to die by a gang of ruthless outlaws led by, oh, he's led by uh, Donald Pleasance. Yes, that's who it was. It took me a minute to remember. Uh, he's taken in by uh, Joan Hackett, who's a, a beautiful divorced woman, or so she says, heading west with her young son to join her husband. Actually, she's uh, estranged from her husband, but they're getting back together. That's what it is. And she will, nurses him back to health, and uh, they uh, he kind of catches a glimpse of a life that he's never known by this time that he spends with her. And then he's, you know, he's in love with another man's wife, and then the gang's coming back to uh, make sure they finish the job. So you got all that going on. It's a little slowly paced, but there's some great performances here, uh, particularly Joan Hackett, who was Oscar nominated for this film. Charlton Heston always said this was his favorite Western, of uh, favorite film of all the films that he did, actually. One of the few Westerns he did. He didn't do, didn't do too many of those. Uh, but it's, uh, I will say the new transfer of this from a 4K scan of the 35mm camera negative is... Pretty amazing to behold. It really has a lot of just a really terrific film-like look uh, from the way it uh, appeared to me on my equipment. So I was really impressed with this. New audio commentary by the author and screenwriter C. Courtney Joyner and film historian Henry Park and Will Penny script supervisor Michael Priest. And you have Remembering Will Penny, a featurette with Charles Johnson and John Grise or Grease. The Cowboys of Will Penny featurette with Charlton Heston and John Grise and, or Grease as well. And then the last title for the month in terms of uh, Kino Lorber's Studio Classics releases we have, uh, that would be Duet for One. This is starring Julie Andrews. This was one of the rare uh, attempts by Golan Globus and their Canon Films to do a drama. Uh, they uh, they they did the they did they tried this maybe once or twice, uh, but most of the stuff they did obviously was of the exploitation genre, <laughs> as we all know. But Do It for One is uh, stars Julie Andrews as a um, a world famous violinist suddenly afflicted with multiple sclerosis, and uh, her talent fades away, and her. Um, her marriage is coming as well. Uh, she's married to Alan Bates in the film. He escapes into an affair with his secretary. And, you know, it's well performed by Julie Andrews. And you've got Liam Neeson here in a small part as and uh, Rupert Everett as well. There's an audio commentary by the film historian and filmmaker Daniel Creamer. So do it for one from 1986. One of the canon films uh, of a more serious nature. And that uh, Max Foncito in this as well, by the way. So uh, there you go. And that, those are the Kino Lorber Studio Classics for the month of Max Foncito in a Golan Globus film. Yes, if you can imagine. Imagine that. But, Cobra. <laughs> Over the top. <clears throat> Starring Sylvester Stallone and Lee Volman. <laughs> <laughs> Malone, starring Max von Sydow. <laughs> yeah. I would like to see Malone again, that's for sure. It is coming out in August. I just got a press release on it, and uh, we are getting a Blu-ray in August of that. So your wish has been fulfilled. <laughs> Damn right. It better, it better be three-disc set. <laughs> like two dozen special features on it. Yeah, some, somebody heard your cries. That's all I know. And commentary from Burt Reynolds to Paymaker. <laughs> I mean, it better go that deep. That's what I want. Yes, I would. Uh, I second that emotion. Yes. I have not gotten my uh, July titles from Kino yet, but I'm anxiously awaiting uh, To Live and Die in L.A. That's one of the titles I requested, yeah. and I cannot wait to see that on 4K. So I'm hoping that that 
arrives soon. But uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So we'll go through the Criterion films, and we all know that the Criterion sale is going on as we record this, uh, Barnes & Noble. So, you know, you can get everything 50% off. I'm not shilling for them, but it's worth mentioning uh, just in case anybody's looking to you know, buy some Criterion titles. Uh, now's the time to do it. I bought a couple of myself. I got Day for Night, Francois Truffaut's Day for Night, because I didn't have that. And I got the Sweet Smell of Success and Claudia Vile's Girlfriends. And uh, those are some of the ones that I picked up that I did not have. So I did my part. So anyway, <laughs> uh, so we have the rules of the game. Jean Renoir's Renoir. Jean Renoir's The Rules of the Game. The Critique of Corrupt French Society, which is uh, cloaked in a comedy of manners. film had a tumultuous history, of course, subjected to many cuts after its uh, response. Uh, the audience at its 1939 premiere, reconstructed in 1959, and that version is the one you get here in this new 4K restoration. And you get uh, the introduction by the film's director, audio commentary by scholar Alexander Sazonsky, and read by filmmaker Peter Bogdanovich. Comparison of the two endings, uh, excerpts from a television program by filmmaker Jacques Rivette, Part one, part one of Jean Renoir, a two-part 1993 documentary video essay about the film's production. 1965 episode of the French TV series uh, Les Écrans de la Ville. And so uh, you get the uh, essay booklet as well. So there you go, uh, getting a 4K and Blu-ray release. Time Bandits from 1981, starring Ralph Richardson, Sean Connery, David Warner... Craig Warnock, about a uh, a boy who joins a band of time travelers. Of course, this is directed by Terry Gilliam. And you get an audio commentary. I guess this is from way back with the David Warner, Craig Warnock, John Cleese, Gilliam, Michael Palin. And you get a program on the creation of the film's various historical periods, uh, a 1998 Midnight Sun Festival conversation with Gilliam. Appearance by actor Shelley Duvall on Tom Snyder's Tomorrow Show from 1981 and a gallery of rare photographs from the set. There you go. Uh, the Servant, directed by Joseph Losey. Um, it's, um, it's about a man's servant who, during his transition from matinee idol to, uh, this was James Fox during his transition from matinee idol to art house icon. And it's uh, a dissolute Skyon of the Upper Crust finds the seemingly perfect manservant to oversee his new London townhouse. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, this is a rare interview with, from 1976 with the director, Joseph Losey, included here, and an interview from 96 with the screenwriter, Harold Pinter. Interviews with Dick Bogard, James Fox, Sarah Miles, Wendy Craig, who all appear in the film essay booklet, of course. Medicine for Melancholy is the, um, the, uh, I think, this is, uh, yeah, this is Barry Jenkins' latest film, which I didn't get around to seeing. Uh, Barry Jenkins of Moonlight fame, of course, and has a uh, new commentary by Jenkins, audio commentary from 2008, featuring Jenkins, and maybe this is one of his earlier films, actually, yes, uh, 2008 it was. This is before Moonlight, sorry. Uh, that's why I had not seen it. Uh, and you get a new program about the making of the film as well. Pasolini 101 is a box set collecting nine of Pierre Paolo Pasolini's films. Akatone, Mamaroma, Love Meetings, The Gospel According to Matthew, The Hawks and the Sparrows, Oedipus Rex, Tiarima, Porcile, and Medea are the ones included. You get new restorations of seven films and 2K digital restorations of two of the films. Two shorts made by the director, two documentaries made by Pasolini, New, docu uh, new program on his visual style, audio commentaries, documentaries on his life and career, episode from the TV French television program Sinis de Notre Temps, uh, interviews with filmmakers and scholars, trailers, deluxe packaging, including a 100-page book featuring an essay and notes on the film. So, uh, interestingly enough, Salo is not included in this box set. So. <laughs> uh, uh, but it has previously been issued by Criterion, so you can get Solo. You just have to get it separately, I guess. That's, you shouldn't have to penalize Solo fans. 
<laughs> and you know who you are. It's almost like the studio saying, eat shit, solo fans. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Something like that. Well, Umbrella Entertainment has released the Mad Monster Party, the animated film from 1967 that was directed by Jules Bass and starring the voices of Boris Karloff, Phyllis Diller, Gail Garnett, and Alan Swift. And uh, I think there are a few, maybe a new commentary on this. Not sure about that. But anyway, uh, Mad Monster Party has been issued by Umbrella Entertainment, which is an Australian uh, outfit. Renfield, the recent uh, film horror parody or whatever you want to call it, starring Nicolas Cage as uh, Count Dracula. And I thought it was okay, actually, better than I expected. Um, I would. Uh, it's very interesting to see them recreate the original 1931 Dracula with... Uh, by digitally inserting Nicolas Cage into the into the film, I thought that was quite quite unique. And so there's some good stuff going on there, if, if it's not perfect. And it's way over the top with its violence, but you know maybe that's what you would expect. I don't know. So anyway, Renfield from 2023 Universal releasing that Lords of War from uh, getting a 4K release. That's another Nicolas Cage film from 2005. That's Lionsgate doing that. He's making War. a sequel to that right now. Is he really? I didn't realize. Well, not right now during the strike, but they're they're making right. one. Interesting. That would have been the last thing I would have expected him to do a sequel to, but good. Good for him. Oh, shit. Nicholas Cage will do anything. Well, that's true. Yeah. I didn't think he'd do that. Left behind, sure, but that? <laughs> a sequel to one of his better movies from the past 25 years? Right. No way. You wouldn't expect that. That's the part that I'm shocked by. Well... Anyway, uh, so all the Indiana Jones films have been issued separately by Paramount. They'd previously been issued in a box set on 4K, but now they're getting separate 4K releases. Uh, I don't think there are any extras on these. These are bare bones editions. But uh, uh, Paul Bartel's first film from 1972, Private Parts, getting the uh, a Blu-ray release for the first time ever from Scream Factory. And there's new commentary here, and I think a few uh, new featurettes, or maybe documentaries, not sure, but uh, Clear and Present Danger, starring Harrison Ford, of course, as well, one of the Jack Ryan films, getting a 4K release, uh, I believe, maybe for the first time ever, not sure. And The Mummy Trilogy, getting a 4K release from Universal, um, you're getting also Tulsa King, season one, getting a Blu-ray release. That's the TV series with Sylvester Stallone, which I didn't get around to seeing but uh, I hear good things. And you have The Strangler. That's from 1964, Shout Factory release. It's about a, a lab technician who collects dolls, and he's also a serial killer responsible for the strangulation deaths of several nurses, starring the great Victor Buono, one of my favorite character actors from the 60s and 70s and early 80s. And he gets the lead here. You don't see that very often. And Ellen Corby from The Waltons, played Grandma Walton. She's in this as well. And um, so anyway, I have not seen this. Didn't get a review copy, but uh, if Victor Bono is playing a serial killer, I, I think I might be in on that. So. Mm. <laughs> anyway, uh, I need to need to catch up to this. So uh, there are a few new extras here. I think there's a new commentary as well. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and then Warriors 2 is a Arrow release. Two cuts of this film. It's um, Samo Hung and Casanova Wong playing two students of Master Yan, played by uh, Beardy Loon, who must use their skills to defend their town against an evil businessman and his gang of killers. There's all kinds of extra features here, commentaries and uh, featurettes, documentaries and such. So uh, they do such a great job with these Asian films, Arrow does, and this is no exception. Warriors 2 uh, is the title that I'm talking about. And um, let's see here. Moving along, there's a four-movie collection with all four, the first four Insidious films being issued by. That's uh, from Sony Pictures Entertainment, I believe. And then we go to uh, a couple other things here. The Old Man and the Sea, which was um adaptation of the Ernest Hemingway novel. And it uh, gave Spencer Tracy his sixth of his nine Academy Award nominations, and it won the National Board of Review's 1958 Best Picture and Best Actor Awards. 
about a Cuban fisherman uh, catching a huge marlin and defying the sea, marauding sharks in his own flagging strength to bring the great catch home. And so it's uh, directed by John Sturges, who also did uh, The Great Escape and The Magnificent Seven. And you get a behind-the-scenes documentary on Hemingway and a theatrical trailer. So uh, there is that. And then there's a new Shaw Brothers box set, Shaw Brothers Classics, Volume 1. This is from Shout Factory. It includes the Assassin, Thundering Sword, the Golden Swallow, Jade, Raksha, Bells of Death, Sword of Swords, Killer Darts, Invincible Fist, Dragon Swamp, the Flying Dagger, and the Golden Sword, all on Blu-ray. So, uh, The Sword in the Stone, the Disney animated film from 1963, getting a, a Blu-ray release and a 60th anniversary edition. Also, Peter Pan getting a 70th anniversary edition Blu-ray set. A couple of MVD video releases here. Witch Trap from 1989, Killzone from 1985, those being issued on Blu-ray for the first time as well. And interestingly enough, MVD is also releasing Rain Man, which was uh, kind of a shock for a lot of people. They were surprised that the a Best Picture Academy Award winner would uh, would get issued on 4K and Blu-ray by an independent boutique label. You would think the studio would put that out, but nevertheless, they did not. And uh, I would say the transfer is kind of hot and cold on this. Um, The indoor scenes, I thought the skin tones were a little pinkish, but when the outdoor scenes uh, are involved, when it involves outdoor scenes, uh, the transfer really pops. So there, it does look great depending on the scene that you're in. But uh, still a good film. I like it. I'm not sure that it should have won Best Picture. I personally prefer The Accidental Tourist, which was it was up against that, and I'm a much bigger fan of that film. But Rain Man does have does have its charms, and I do enjoy it. And you know, I well, I'm definitely a much bigger fan of Accidental Tourist. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Since that's one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. But that didn't have any hope of winning. I mean, it no, was it between didn't. between Rain Man and Mississippi Burning, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. And I, well, I actually prefer Mississippi Burning as well, but uh, uh, you know, and it, it, the Hoffman performance is the type of performance that wins Oscars. But Gene Hackman deserved it. Absolutely, totally. For best actor, he's so good in that movie. He's I mean, he's amazing. so good in everything, but <laughs> that's a high point. Yes, yes, we watched that not too long ago. My son and I, he had not seen it, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Definitely holds up. So. Anyway, uh, The Oyster Princess is a 1919 Ernst Lubitsch silent film getting a release from Kino, uh, the regular Kino, not the studio classics. But anyway, just want to mention that. And the basketball film Sweetwater from this year, 2023, I think that's Universal doing the honors. Uh, releasing that one, there's a whole slew of Disney titles here, getting Blu-ray reissues up, Monsters Incorporated, Brave, Incredibles, Coco, um, Finding Nemo. Uh, uh, cars. So it's just, you know, a whole bunch of those. And what's love got to do with it has, uh, made the Blu-ray transition on, let's see what, uh, the label is here. Yeah, it's Disney has actually put this out, believe it or not. Um, but I don't know if this is, uh, it looks like it may be a region B, maybe, no, it says region A. Uh, so I don't know. It's amazing that there was a time when Disney made films like What's Love Got to Do With It, the biopic of Tina Turner, but uh, apparently it looks like it did get a Blu-ray <coughs> mm, on yeah. the 16th. So Avatar Way of Water made the leap to 4K Blu-ray. Well, that, was their, that was their Hollywood Pictures, I think, did that. It was. Uh, actually, yeah, it might have been Touchstone, I'm thinking. Touchstone, yeah, right, okay. I think it was, yeah. yeah that was, those were the days, yep. So Avatar Way of Water getting Blu-ray, 4K, and a 3D disc release uh, as uh, also the original Avatar getting reissued in what is billed as the Ultimate Collector's Edition, although it doesn't include the director's cut that was released about 10 years ago or something. So interesting that they would consider this the uh, the Ultimate Collector's Edition and not include the director's cut. I don't know. I'm not the one putting these things out, but just, just an, an observation from yours truly. Uh, Vanilla Sky, speaking of Tom Cruise, there's a double whammy, uh, two titles uh, of starring Tom Cruise that got reissued, uh, well, actually, actually issued for the first time in 4K, Vanilla Sky and The Firm. And we were talking about The Firm, you know, 30 years ago, it was a huge hit, of course. And 
that's a genre that just does not exist anymore at all. The legal thriller being released yeah. theatrical in theaters. It's amazing how many genres are just completely dead from 30 years ago when you go back and look. And that's one of them. And it's really sad. Well, uh, you know. yeah. I mean, you oversaturate the market and then it peters out. That's just how it goes. I guess so. But, you know, you know no, no, very few people buy books like they used to either. So That's true. Nobody Grisham's, reads Grisham's, Yeah. And he's still doing it. I mean, he's still writing yeah. those thrillers. That's right. Yeah. True. Very true. So, yeah, and as I said, Avatar uh, getting uh, – I don't have to say any more about that except that it's out there. So, uh, anyway, Crocodile uh, is uh, the 1979 film about a giant crocodile. Synapse Films putting that out on Blu-ray. A couple – it's a few new extras here, commentaries and such. Um, I think that might have been an Italian co-production. Not really sure. Uh, Red River. Uh, the Howard Hawks film starring John Wayne. I think this was another Criterion film that I somehow missed when I went through the Criterions earlier. Um, sorry about that, but anyway, it's um, getting a Blu-ray release with some new extras as well. And um, let's see, just a couple other things here. We have uh, MGM doing the releasing honors uh, Blu-ray of Stormy Monday, Mike Figus. A 1988 film starring Melanie Griffith and Tommy Lee Jones and Sting and Peter Marshall. What an interesting cast. Uh, getting a first time ever Blu-ray release. And um, we're uh, getting towards the end here. We're actually on the last day of the month. And what we have on the last day of the month is a couple of things. Uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Got a 4K upgrade. Uh, I did get a chance to look at this. The transfer is pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, it probably looks the best that it's ever looked. You know, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, it really looks film-like, I would say. They did a good job just <laughs> keeping in enough grain in the transfer there. It looks like a legitimate film. <laughs> it does. It's got a grain, you know, there's the grain structure there that, you know, there's a lot of people that get, uh, complain about too much DNR. Digital yeah. noise reduction, you know, and they, and they can't go overboard with it, but they they did a good job with this, I would say. So, for anybody that cares about those sorts of things, I know it's we're getting really uh, in in the weeds here on when we get up to talking about. I know stuff Randy like Quaid has been doing the conventions now. I know somebody told me that. I saw there's a picture out there floating around with him and uh, I think wow. Chevy Chase. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Well, good for him. I'm glad he's circulating getting out. out. <laughs> yeah, he needs to. Uh, I think that's part of his problem. Um, but <laughs> we love the guy. Love his contributions to film, and I, uh, I, I hope that um, hope that he can get it together and maybe maybe have a last hoorah. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, I wonder what the deal is with that uh, Dennis Quaid Reagan movie. I mean, he supposedly shot that a long time ago. Yeah, that's I'd almost I'd forgotten about it now that you mention it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's uh that is a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder about that as well. Strange, man, strange. What can you say? Yeah. yeah wonder man. if it'll wonder if it just covers his political years or his presidency. Yeah, well there's there's a lot to cover there. I'm sure it doesn't I'm sure it doesn't go all the way back to SAG. Probably not. That was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ronald Reagan was in SAG when it was still considered firm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a joke. Oh, <laughs> well, you cut out there. I thought I must have. Oh, I that. cut out there. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. I was like, Ronald Reagan was in SAG when it was still considered firm. Ah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I get it now. Okay. Yeah, you got it. You dropped for a second, and I, I thought I heard something else, but no, I get it now. A little slow on the uptake, but that's no, good. that's all right. That's all right. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Anyway, inopportune time for it to drop. Well, anyway, so Creep Show has been issued in 4K by Scream Factory, and getting an upgrade there. I haven't gotten my review copy yet. It's supposed to be on the way. I'll have to talk more in depth about the quality on that transfer later on, but I hear it's good. And I don't think there are any new extras. It's just a, you know, 
basically an upgrade of the picture and all the extras, new, uh, the previous extras being carried over. But uh, maybe that's enough. As I do here, it looks quite good. Mall Rats getting a 4K upgrade as well from Arrow. That's, uh, of course, Kevin Smith's second film, poorly received when it came out. I think there's been a little bit of a critical resurgence on that. Which one? Mall Rats. Oh. Yeah, I think it's okay. Um, I remember it was people hated it so much that I went into it and saw it and just thought, oh, this must be the worst thing ever. And I remember seeing it and I laughed quite a bit. And I thought, well, it's not bad at all. And then I watched it a third time, or a second time, rather, and I was like, yeah, it's not quite as good as I... I think my expectation level was so low that I just kind of overpraised it a little bit. But it's still good. It has its moments. And uh, so, uh, you know, has its charms, as they say. Evil Dead Rise, getting a 4K and Blu-ray release, the latest in the Evil Dead franchise, fifth theatrical Evil Dead film. Intense. It's an intense movie. So you did see it, huh? Yeah, I liked it fine. I, I, I mean, it, it. those movies aren't pleasurable for me, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it's very intense. Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't. Uh, I did not get around to it, and it's it's on HBO Max now, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, I got it. Very or intense, Max, very very Max. bloody, super super cool opening title okay. reveal. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I love the opening title reveal. It's all of three seconds. I mean, you just read okay. the title, but it's pretty great how they did it. All right. Well, you you got me convinced. I, I was I've been I meant to see that a couple of months ago, and I when it first came out, and I just got, time got away from me, and I didn't I didn't get to didn't get to see it. But I uh, I will definitely uh, uh, you know investigate because I typically like those movies. I didn't care for the remake in 2013 or whatever it was. I, I was disappointed with that. <laughs> It was humorless, and I didn't really appreciate yeah, the lack of humor. I don't humor. think this one has humor. I mean, it's 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 dark, dark, dark. But uh, okay, well, maybe it'll work. You never know. I did. I did like the ballsiness of the. Uh, I did like the ballsiness of the last Evil Dead when they came out with a poster and the tagline on the poster is the most terrifying movie you'll ever see. <laughs> I thought, yeah, go for it, man. That's great. Uh, they definitely talked it up. I I was at a uh, one of those conventions where. Um, uh, Bruce Campbell was there and he was talking it up. He gave a one hour, uh, Q and A and I was there for that. And he, he was really promoting it, uh, back right before it came out. And so I had high expectations and I was definitely disappointed. So I, uh, yeah. And anyway, um, well, uh, there's a new box set from Arrow video for anybody who, uh, fondly remembers the eighties and a certain type of movie that used to come out pretty frequently uh they would have a token theatrical release but they did more they performed i guess better on video than they did theatrically and that's uh empire of screams blu-ray set enter the video store which is basically a collection of empire pictures output Mm. from the years of 1984 to 89 now the reanimator is the one you would expect here and it's not part of the set i must tell you because that was probably the, the biggest, uh, most well-known, biggest success of all the films. But, you know, there's some that turn up on cable quite a bit here. The Dungeon Master Dolls, Cellar Dweller, Arena, Robot Jocks. This is a limited edition box set, and it's a five-disc set. And it's, uh, it's a little, little pricey. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think it may already be out of print, not sure. Uh, but I believe they're going to be reissuing it uh, in a standard non-collectible edition at some point. So we'll go ahead and just talk about it right quick. But yeah, there's quite a few extras here on the set uh, as well. There's uh, I think there's uh, just a whole slew of documentaries and commentaries and just a lot of archival stuff that has made its way into the set. So anyway, uh, and there's a uh, Five movies and seven cuts. So there's a couple of these have multiple cuts of the film. So uh, for anybody who finally remembers those days, I, I certainly lived through them. Uh, <laughs> uh, enter the video store. The Empire of Screams Blu-ray set is now available from Arrow Video. We have a couple more Warner Archive titles. Caged, the story of a women's prison today. It was how it was billed. And it's... um. I just got this uh, like two days ago, so I didn't get a chance to see it. But it's Ellen Parker uh, uh, as a 
prison inmate who's trying to survive, doing her best. And uh, Hope Emerson uh, is her inmate, and she got a Best Supporting Actress nomination for her performance in this film. And it's considered one of the better women's prison films. It's um, from 1950. You know, so things were a little, you know, they were they were loosening up the code just a little bit more in the early 50s, I think, than they were in the 30s and 40s. So, you know, uh, this looks like it could be quite good. It's directed by John Cromwell. And uh, he's a was a pretty dependable director. Music uh, by Max Steiner. You also get uh, Screen Director's Playhouse radio broadcast from August 2nd of 1951 and a classic Warner Brothers cartoon, Big House Bunny, and uh, the trailer. And you also get another Warner Archive is Angel Face, starring Robert Mitchum and Gene Simmons. This from 1952. It's an RKO film produced by Howard Hughes, or not produced by, but uh, presented by Howard Hughes, produced and directed by Otto Preminger. And... um, uh, it's, um, you know, it's about, a uh, you know, Robert Mitchum. He's a regular guy with a steady girl and a dream of owning his own garage when he crosses paths with Diane. She wants him or does she want a fall guy to blame when Diane's stepmother plunges off a high cliff and leaves her fortune to Diane? So, uh, you know, it's film noir, of course, around from uh, the time when all that stuff was uh, at its peak. Commentary by film noir historian and TCM host Eddie Mueller. So, Angel Face, another Warner Archive release. And let's see, we're uh, wrapping it up here, getting close to the end. Uh, Irreversible, uh, the 2002 controversial film, uh, has been issued in a two-disc special edition. You get the original cut and the straight cut, because, you know, this was a film that was told from, uh, the. it starts at the end, and then it works its way to the beginning of the film. That was the original version, and now it's been... Uh, re-edited in a way where it's linear. So I don't know how that would play, but anyway, Irreversible being issued by Altered Innocence is the label. I don't know that label. Not really familiar with them. Motel Hell being issued from Scream Factory in 4K, getting a 4K upgrade with a few new extras here. Uh, New commentary, new couple of featurettes, I think. Uh, This was uh, kind of uh, an early 80s staple of Horror uh, of horror fans that uh, has a cult following. I remember turning up on cable quite a bit. I I remember Roger Ebert liked this film. He gave it a positive review, which was <laughs> rare for him in those days uh, when it came to horror films. Uh, but uh, yeah, it has its charms. It's basically about a farmer who kills people, and uh, you know he sells smoked meats, and you know it's a variation on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre theme. But done in a very, very humorous way. So, <laughs> uh, and you got Rory Calhoun as the uh, the farmer, Farmer Vincent. So. Waterworld has been issued in 4K by Arrow as well. That's um, uh, getting both the theatrical cut and the TV cut and the Ulysses cut, which is a, a I think it takes some footage from the international version and the TV version and puts it together with the theatrical. It's Anyway, there's three cuts of the film in this new 4K set of Waterworld from Aero Video, and all the previous extras are being moved over. And The Dam Don't Cry is another, uh, this is another Warner Archive release from 1950, starring Joan Crawford. And it's, uh, I think it's a film noir as well. Didn't get a review copy on that one, unfortunately. And um, there is a new... Uh, a 4K edition of Showgirls, which includes the You Don't Know Me documentary as part of the extras. And this is a Vinegar Syndrome, I believe, that was issued this month. I, I think they were having some trouble with the uh, the transfer on that or something, and there was a, some few complaints. I'm not sure. But anyway, Morburn Caller from 19, uh, 2002, rather, that's uh, part of the uh, Fun City editions. Uh, and that's directed by Lynn Ramsey. Uh, who later directed We Talk About Kevin and many other things. I never saw this one, but I always wanted to. I heard it was uh, pretty good. And let's see, just uh, young Sherlock Holmes getting a, uh, another issue. It was originally in a Steelbook limited edition, and it went out of print, and now Paramount has put it back out in a standard Blu-ray edition. So it's back in print, I will say. Dead and Buried from uh, This is Blue Underground. This, again, was re- issued in a limited edition and now it's back out again in print. 
It's a great horror film from 1981. If you haven't seen it, we've talked about it before. I'm not going to belabor the point, but Dangerous When Wet, starring Esther Williams, is another Warner Archive title. It's one of her aquatic roles where she gets to swim around and all that stuff. And, um, oh, let's see. And the animated film Creep Show 3, which I didn't see and I heard was not really all that good. But Shout Factory has issued it, limited it to 1,500 copies on Blu-ray. I don't know about that one. But anyway, for anybody who's a Creepshow completist, you have your opportunity to snap up Creepshow 3. And I think that pretty much covers the Blu-ray releases for the month of June of 2023. All right. Excitement. Yeah, exciting title titles. <laughs> and if you want to see what these titles look like, I'm still doing the videos every week. A short video, 15 minutes. Uh, I'll put them up there and let you see what these discs look like. I'll like the uh, the nine film Pasolini box set. I I unwrapped that and pulled the book out and kind of gave a little overview of what these look like. And so uh, yeah, and I uh, I just got my first movie prop ever, uh, the uh, the Zuni fetish doll from the film Trilogy of Terror. Not actually the original doll, but it's uh, uh, molded from the one used in the film, the last sur- surviving model from the one used in the film. And so I did a little video on that and my history with that film. It was a pivotal experience for me in my childhood. So I'll be putting that Did you get on eBay or something? Uh, there's a company called Hollywood Collectibles Group, and they made just a limited batch of these. Very, very oh, limited. I see. And so uh, that's where I got it. Uh, somebody, So they were... Uh, they're putting out the alert, and they're they're limited numbered, just just few of them. And I've always wanted one of these dolls since I saw that film when I was about four years old. And so for 47 years, I've wanted one. And I finally said, uh, actually, somebody, it actually was eBay, but where I wound up getting it because a guy had one, and I made him an offer, and he, I didn't think he would accept my offer. He did, and that's how we wound up with it. So <laughs> I've got one. I've got one movie prop. It's the uh, the bucket from Nomadland. I don't know if that's <laughs> And demand it out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my. Anyway.